Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that swears blind that the Carabao Cup grew cartoon mouse ears when West Ham's winning penalty went in. On today's pod, we're looking back on Wednesday's draw at the London Stadium, though not in too much detail, obviously. We're looking forward to Saturday's hosting of Crystal Palace, a team that's changed significantly under Patrick Vieira, but have they improved? To discuss all this and much more, I'm delighted to be joined by two of my favourite peeps in the whole wide world. It's Ali and Harry. Hi, Ali. You okay, pal? I am. I'm very well, thankful. Always good to be here. Lovely, lovely. Harry, you there, man? Yes, yes, mate. Pleasure to be back on. I've had a bit of a hectic few weeks, but it's nice to, to be able to settle down. Well, there. you were hobnobbing, weren't you, a couple of weeks ago? Um, Wolves you... Day, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. So we were down in London um, for the Royal Lancaster. So, yeah, that was not my scene at all. Yeah, but, um, but you won. But we won. Yeah, but we won. And deservedly so, I think. I think we've, yeah. we came third the first year second last year so nice little steady progression but look the lads as everyone probably knows works so hard on a daily basis on sort of multiple platforms so it was yeah. nice to get some sort of recognition anyway well this is obviously we're talking about city extra um who do amazing work i mean you know supposed to be competitive we're not competitive City extra brilliant oh no come on <laughs> exactly it, it's and freddie is is just Incredible what he does. You're incredible what you do. And and it's not just the quality. It's the hard work that goes into it is beyond mm. belief. So uh, well, well-deserved, I say. Thank you very much. Right, let's get into this. Uh, well, let's look back first at Wednesday's defeat. I can't believe it. I thought this was ours forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's kind of, let's breeze over the game itself. Um, did, did you watch it, Ali? Were you able to get a stream? I did, I was, yeah, and master of the dodgy stream, and, and uh, uh, yeah, that, um, I think uh, at time I tweeted that it had only just occurred to me that when we got excited because Phil Foden had called his dog Carabao, yeah. I, it had only just occurred to me that it was actually called Carabao Wow Wow, and I submitted that as my review of the first half, and then... <laughs> And then retweeted it as my review of the second half. (laughs) And and yeah, it was, it it wasn't a night to stay in the memory very long. Um, And we can talk about the game we will go on to, but uh, my initial reaction when it was over was kind of, oh, well, all good things come to an end and and I felt okay about it and and fair play to West Ham and and it was all quite good natured. And then I woke up next morning, kind of Thursday morning, it felt like a big hole in my heart. Oh my God, we're out of the Carabao Cup. How's that happened? Uh, And it (laughs) sunk in much later. But yeah, it is what it is. And and yeah, we've got a few few days off in the midweeks in a key point of the season later on to come. So yeah, silver linings and all that. Exactly that. There are silver linings to it. I mean, <laughs> you had it tough, Harry, because uh, I saw that you had to do uh, like a five talking points thing on the game. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well, basically what happens with that is we sort of throw it to everyone who writes for us and they pick it up. But surprisingly, no one picked it up for that uh-huh. game. Yeah. It was probably fit for watching on a dodgy stream that game last night. It was so, so poor. Yeah. I mean, I was very glad that I didn't even manage, manage to catch the first half because I imagine that it was even worse. Um, <laughs> both sides never really going for it. West Ham settling for penalties probably from the 10-minute mark. Um, lots of possession, no real penetration. 
which was you probably could say was quite frustrating with the, the quality we had on the field. But mm. yeah, it was just it was a very meh game. It felt very preseason friendly to me. I don't know if that was just because it wasn't on telly or the way I was watching it, or I don't know. We just felt a bit meh, and and the same with Ali. It's sort of the I'm a very big Carabao enthusiast, and my uni mates used to take the mick at me all the time because. Um, one of my good friends from university is a Liverpool fan and I always go on to him about how the Carabao is the most important competition in the world <laughs> and, and he said something to me the other day he was like he said he said to me Harry he said you know what the last time you lost a game in the Carabao said I didn't even know you and you were in your first year of college yeah. <laughs> and now I've finished college and I've graduated university <laughs> uh, so I think a bit of perspective is probably needed from everyone yeah I saw someone on Twitter say that um the last time City lost in the Carabao, he had yet to meet his, the lady who's now his wife, and they've just, they've, oh, had, a chi- they've had a child, and his child started preschool. So <laughs> oh that's my God. absolutely mad, is it? Crazy. Um, there were, as Ali uh, said, there are silver linings, and there were positives to take from the game, notably the performance of Cole Palmer. Um, speaking in general, kind of from what you've seen of him as he's broke through, Ali, how much has he impressed you? Been very impressed. I don't want to get too carried away yeah, and yeah. weigh too much uh, uh, expectation on the lad's shoulders. Um, he's still young. He still looks a bit of a gawky, gangly teenager that you know, sometimes when a, a player comes through at a young age, you you can tell they need to fill out a bit. Mm. Uh, while he did play very well on Wednesday, just as he has every time he's come on the pitch for us, uh, a couple of times he was muscled out. Um and I think a year or two from now, he probably won't be, by at least not by the standard of defenders he was up against on Wednesday. He's got so much uh, ability and, and and magic on his toes. You know, some of his, his little close control dribbles really surprised me on Wednesday night. Um, I knew he was he, he would glide across the pitch when he's on a long run, and and he looks very very comfortable uh, when he's got you know, 50 yards of, of pitch in front of him. Uh, but I was really genuinely impressed by his close control and, and his uh, mastery within really tight areas. And to be honest, he deserved a lot more support from the players around him on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, had particularly Okagundi one taken a couple of the chances that Copama set mm-hmm. up for him, he could have been looking at a couple of assists. And he had a couple of decent shots as well and one, one very good save coming off him as well. So, you know, had, had things worked out slightly different, he could have had a goal and a couple of assists. Um, as it was, he, he came off and I think he was our best player on Wednesday night. Um, Harry, he's played 214 minutes for City this season. I've scored yep. twice in that time. Um, kind of two-part question for you. Firstly, are you surprised how much minutes he's been given at this early stage? Uh, and secondly, do you think he's done enough now where Pep is really thinking, okay, I can trust this lad, I can play him more. Mm. Do, do you think basically now he's going to play beyond Carabao Cup games? Well, the, the surprise probably is a massive compliment to Palmer himself. Yeah. Um, I think Ali probably covered his, his qualities quite well. Um, and it probably says a lot that he was one of City's best performers on the night. Um, the way the ball sort of sticks to him is sort of Bernardo-esque. Like, you don't, you don't like he's going to lose the ball. Um, and it was, it was a very mature performance. He took up good positions in the box too, which is, he's got that smell of sensing a goal that's pretty promising for a false nine role if he's going to continue to play there. Uh, more frequently towards the sort of back end of the season if he gets some more opportunities. Um, and 
probably a key point is last night. Last night he weren't around his mates like he was versus Wickham and like he has been. Yes, yeah. Uh, in the past, he was uh, we're playing with and playing against full internationals. Uh, a different test for him, but one he's took very well. Um, but in terms of going forward, I mean, City don't hand out five-year contracts for nothing. They give him five years in the summer. Uh, you only need to look at Raheem Sterling at the moment and his contract situation to realise they obviously see great potential in, in Palmer. Uh, and even more so with the, the competition for his place. I mean, he's in probably the most stacked area of Manchester City squad at the moment with, you know, especially the way Bernardo's playing. De Bruyne, of course, will come on to, but uh, Gundogan, you know, there's, there's, and Foden, not forgetting as well. So there's so many quality players and so many quality players in that position in the academy. You know, we've not even mentioned James McAtee in the past, who mm. obviously is a very highly rated player of, of Pep Guardiola and Cole Palmer's playing ahead of him. So yeah, uh, Pep sort of probably sees him as the next Phil Foden off that production line, but you know, if Phil Foden's your benchmark, then, then there's a lot of pressure on Palmer. <laughs> there is. Um, I, I've i just been blown away by him, to be honest. Mm. I, I kind of, I was a bit late to the party. Um, I heard a lot of people talk about him and it was kind of like, okay, we know that we have a, a lot of really good players coming through. This is the nature of the academy. No doubt he'll end up playing in Belgium. And yet, he's yeah. brilliant. He, he is the next... Not next Phil Foden in terms of ability, but the next Phil Foden in terms of the youngster who comes through and just settles into the first team and is regarded as one of the, an established member of the first team squad. And for someone of his age, and as yeah. you said, Harry, with so much competition around him, that is a phenomenal achievement already. Um, he's probably he's probably a player that I think there was a great story in in the Mail on him this week, and basically says that when he was fifteen, City were pretty much about to let him go. Yes, and yeah. and Jason Wilcox kind of took the chiefs to one side and sort of said, "Look, this lad has got the potential to to make it. Please give him a contract." You know, if they didn't have that belief in him, maybe it wouldn't have drove him on to sort of reach the the heights he's reaching at the moment. So, yeah, I, I'm just massively impressed with him. I just hope that he can, when he gets more opportunities, he can he can uh, he can look just as home in a sort of star studded first team squad as he's, he has done in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um. So if that is a plus, um, Ali is a negative. The Bruins form right now. It, does it? Does that concern you? Does he? Does he concern you right now? I mean, clearly he hasn't got over his injury sustained from the Euros. I mean, he's had two big injuries this past twelve months. So um, that, that's the reason I'm guessing behind the performances. But how much of his performance is worrying you? Worrying me is probably the wrong word. Uh, I'm aware of it, and, and mm. I don't think anyone who's watching City closely can can deny that De Bruyne is not in a good run of form at the moment. Where I feel better about things is I kind of I've had a bit of a uh, a maxim or an adage or whatever you want to call it over the last few years that I've probably dug out on this podcast before, which is that uh, when Kevin De Bruyne is having a bad game, he's still the best player on the pitch. Yeah. Uh, for two, three, four years, that was unequivocally correct and, and very obviously true. This season, uh, there's been a lot of games when Kevin De Bruyne has played badly and he's been nowhere near the best player in the pitch. Yeah. Um, I will say, I think, was it the... Um, uh, which game would it have been? Was either Bruges or uh, Brighton where he had an absolute shocker but then still played an absolute peach of a shot oh, yeah. ball through for Bernardo goal, was it, I think? Um 
I like God, all, all the games were running together in my memory already. <laughs> and then, uh, so, so you know, he, even when he's playing badly, he, he can still produce absolute moments of magic. And that's why, if you look at his figures, actually, over the last five, six games or whatever, people have been tweeting this out again. You, you know, it's like two assists in this game, a goal in that game, an assist in that game, whatever. Um, and if you look at his numbers, they look okay. But obviously, he's not right. Now... I think there are two reasons uh, why he's no, he hasn't been the best player in the pitch, even when he's been playing badly. One of them uh, is that I think his drop-off in form this season has been about the worst I've ever seen. He's had these bad patches before, mm. but he really has been you know, exceptionally poor by his own amazingly high standards over the last few games. But the other thing is that the players around him, and particularly Foden, Bernardo, Rodri, uh, a, a few others, have stepped up to a level that no players were playing at when Kevin was having a bad run this time last year. So Kevin was going through a shocker around about this time last year, November into December, and we were dropping points all over the place and we were looking like a really poor team. Uh, this year, De Bruyne, has, his form has dropped right off again, and I've been looking at him and thinking, well, we don't really need him. Mm. And that's a significant change, I think, in terms of where City are. And it's a tribute to just how good Phil Foden and Bernardo and some other players around him have been. We don't actually, or at least at the moment, we're not depending on Kevin as much as we have done in previous years. So that's the reason why I'm not as worried. But having said that, particularly, you know, we're, we're still in the first third of the season or whatever, as we really get into the meat of it and the business end of it we want Kevin to be absolutely fit and firing so I would really like to know what the problem is you know whether it is that he hasn't quite recovered from all the injuries he's had um that he's nursing pain or or a weakness in an ankle or a knee or whatever it might be uh, or is it just that he's his touch is off. Um, and if it's the latter, then presumably um, Pep and, and his coaching staff around him will want to give him as many minutes as they can on the pitch to get his form back in. Um, if it is that he's nursing injuries or, or just his body is, is somehow breaking down on him, I would be perfectly happy to pack him off to Dubai for three weeks and mm. let him lie mm. in a sun lounger and, and see as many physios and, and faith healers as he wants to see <laughs> um, and come back absolutely in the prime of his fitness because because you know right now we don't particularly need him. We've got other players around him playing so well that I think we're possibly a, a better team when Kevin's not in the pitch at the moment than when he is. Um but obviously that, that is not a sustainable situation and we don't want to be like that forever. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to trust Pep and his team to make the decision. Um, but uh, as a fan, the only thing I would say is that I, I hope whatever it takes to get Kevin back to his absolute best fit and firing, uh, uh, best midfielder in the world uh let's just do him and get him there and, and you know not drag him if he is nursing things don't don't force him through it let, let him get better let the lad heal because uh we need him or we will need him at least as the season goes on we've made this mistake so many times in the past and it, it absolutely confounds me that we're still making that, this, this same mistake now if, if we have one of our best players mm. semi-fit take him out of the team like you say send him off to dubai let him rest up and then bring him back fit. It's a very simple process when we've got such a kind of depth of squad as we have. And um, you mentioned stats there, Ali. Harry, I mean, three league starts, but he scored twice, been a couple of assists. Um, you work in an industry where your statistics are a big factor. Yeah. Are stats misleading here? Oh, um, 
I think with I think with De Bruyne in the past, his sort of in, impressive attributes have, have been his stats. Like his numbers have been astronomical mm. and they could have been even better if City players took the chances yeah. more often. So look, I wrote about De Bruyne yesterday because I really didn't want to have that conversation, but it, it is a tiny bit of a concern um, because, you know, the world-class balls we've become accustomed to with De Bruyne, of course, are world-class. So we don't expect them every game, but at the moment it's two yard passes that he's not making and it's not looking like he's going to make them anytime soon. Um I really wouldn't discuss it if he if he was if he was playing okay, but he's he's, he's really struggling at the moment, really really struggling. Um, and even the goals he has scored this season, I mean the Liverpool one was massively deflected. I can't even remember where the other one was. Uh, always the one the other week against Burnley, wasn't it? So I think it was quite interesting to hear him speak before the Champions League last week um, about Raheem and how some players need to just play through form. And he said he was the same. He said he just needs to play through and get minutes to sort of find his best form. So if that's how De Bruyne feels like he's going to find his best form, I think that's what Guardiola will agree to and he'll just continue playing. I, I can see him playing weekend and midweek as well, just so that he, he's getting minutes under his belt. Um, it's probably not helping his cause amongst the fans that some of our better performances have been when he's not on the field this season as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah I, I think that the solution is a hard one but I think probably just playing him through it if that's how De Bruyne and how Pep believes that it's going to get him back to his, his top form but not even his top form his competent self is easily one of the best players in the well, league well that's what Ali was saying I, I couldn't agree more with both of you absolutely yeah no yeah just just playing through it I, I would say I, I can see him playing the next two games basically it's, he's one of those players, uh, as as you both have just kind of nailed, really, that, you know, you just want him to be competent. You want him to be... I, I would do anything to have average Kev right now. Because <laughs> average Kev is, you know, brilliant anyone else. So, yeah, well, let's wait and see on that one. And, um, I mean, I feel that he does need to be taken out of the team and just given a proper rest. But there we go. And and not, not for nothing as well. It's not for, just for the injuries, but the amount of football that he's played over the last four or five years mm. is staggering. Especially um, at his age, we can't afford just another long-term injury yeah, at some yeah, point absolutely. or a long-term layoff. If, if we sacrifice a couple of months without him for just, you know, to just get him fully fit and fire him for the, the sort of running, then I think a lot of majority of City fans would take that over, risking him getting, breaking down. And, you know, because he's had, two bad injuries don't forget like he's not had two muscle injuries he's had mm. two bad injuries to two completely different parts of his body so if yeah. they're not fully healed we need to get them fully healed and get him back to his to his absolute maximum um, changing the subject but staying on the West Ham game um, I noticed there's a lot of kind of loving a lot of mutual respect between City and Hammers fans uh, on social media after the game it's something I wrote about about two years ago three years ago um, and a lot of City fans objected to it, and which I, it genuinely did surprise me in the feedback. I thought that it'd be well received, to be honest, because there is a lot of admiration and, and respect between City and Hammers fans. And that was evident this week, um, to my eyes at least. Would you go along with that, Ali? Absolutely. I'd love to see it. It's been um, very heartwarming. It's, kind of, it, mm. it, it's one of those little subplots that you get to football that don't always make a huge amount of sense. But... City fans and West Ham 
fans being mates. It's kind of a, uh, just a, a lovely little quirk of, of English football. Yeah. Uh, nobody seems to know quite where it's come from. I've seen various different theories this week, going back to games in the mid-90s or, or yes. uh, the during the, the roller coaster years and we crossed paths and all the rest of it. Um, my feeling, I, I've got nothing to base this on other than a hunch, but my feeling is, is mostly about the uh, smaller club in the shadow of big rivals thing that West Ham and City historically were both kind of slightly down at heel working class clubs uh, in the shadows of, of bigger, more successful neighbours. And there's kind of a, a feeling of kindred uh, shared experience between us. Uh, yeah. And, you know, they, in the same way as we would much rather see uh, West Ham win something or, or even win a game than Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea. They would much rather see us win a game than, than United, obviously. Uh, and I got a fairly similar vibe about Everton as well. I think City fans and Everton fans got on pretty well. And I think it's the same reason again. It's the same kind of uh, fellow feeling between the, the smaller clubs. Uh, and it just so happens that the city's trajectory has gone completely crazy over the last 10 years, as, as we well know. But the our heart is still where it always was, and I think the Hammers feel that as well. Uh, it's just a, it's a nice thing about football, and the fact that you can have these absolutely petty, pointless, ridiculous rivalries in football, um, usually with a, a neighbour, but not always. And, and I, I'm not sure if the city's got an example, but when you look at things like the the Palace v Brighton like uh, hostilities that have gone on over the years. Uh, it, that's one side of it. And I think this uh, the relationship between City fans and Hammers fans is, is kind of the flip side of that. It's just a completely arbitrary and, and pointless and petty friendship. Uh, and so let's enjoy it for what it is and treasure it a bit because it is one of the nice things about you know, modern football. Absolutely. I mean, it definitely derives, to an extent at least, when we went down, I uh, believe, in the 90s. And... Um, it was on the final day of the season. We went down at West Ham and, you know, West Ham fans basically applauded City fans all the way back to the train station. Um, and, yeah. and there, there was some kinship born that day. And um, that was where it partly derives. But, um, I'm with you, Ali. It's definitely the fact that we're both grounded in, in kind of a working class background, the fan base, um, with utter bastards for rivals. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Dredged that up from somewhere. But no, I think that's where it comes from. And um, Harry, have you, have you noticed it? I, mean, you know, I don't want to sound kind of patronising here, but you're younger than me and Ali. So kind of from your generation, is it the same yeah. as from our generation? Because, I mean, me and Ali, at least can, you know, we can remember the days when we were kind of, you know, when United just made our lives miserable. Yeah. Um, so is that would the same apply to you then with West Ham? Um, I'm glad you said that because I was just going to say that you sort of older fans would probably know more <laughs> than me and I just didn't want to sound like that person so I'm glad you went there. Um, it's probably just the, the fact that I've never heard West Ham fans put a loss to City down to the amount of money that City yes. have spent. Bang on. Just yeah, that, yeah. that yeah. sort of pettiness is just, it proper puts me off a of football and booing English players for moving to a, a club with more ambition. You know, like when they did with Ryzen, it's starting to creep in with Grealish. It's just boring and bizarre. Um, but look, I think they probably just appreciate the fact that older City fans have sat through some absolute dross and probably deserve a little bit of success. So I think there's probably a sort of reciprocated feeling for the City fans to West Ham. And look, on the pitch, this West Ham team is 
miles, miles better than it has been in the past. And it has got the potential now to go on and win the cup or, you know, they're the fourth in the league at the yeah, moment. Yeah. Yeah. So look, and if they were up there last season, it was no fluke. So look, I think the feeling is just reciprocated by both fans. There's, there's respect there that, you know, there is fans that have been there since, since City were rubbish and uh, similar with West Ham. And on the pitch now, they just kind of want each other to do well. Yeah. Long way to continue. I, I love it. As I should say, Ali, it's, it's a nice little subplot to football. It's one of those strange little things which... Um, Talk, talking of subplots, so can, I think we can all agree that there's nothing any City fan would like to see more than a David Moyes team finishing above United. If, yes. If, we could, if, if the fates could just throw that, that would be very uh, enjoyable. Although, to, to be fair, you mentioned Everton there, and I think Moyes was the one who poisoned that well, because that has... It, it, you know, that's Everton's okay again now. City and Everton mm. get on fairly well now. Basically, United in, you know, disliking Liverpool. Um, but that whole Julian Lescott saga. Yeah. And the way that Moyes it's called it's been a bit more of a, a rough ride with Everton over the years. Yes. <laughs> ups and downs. Ups and downs, yeah. 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 And at the moment, it's on and up, and, and I'm yeah. glad to see that, because it, it did get a bit nasty just for a year or two. And it, it was, you know, partly attributed to Moyes. Um Okay, let's look at City Palace. Um, in this fixture, City have only lost once in the last 14 encounters, courtesy of a certain miracle goal by Townsend. But we put five past them on three occasions. Last season, mm. we won 4-0 in this fixture. Uh, Ali, I'll start with you. Is this a different Eagle side, though, under Vieira? I think it is. First of all, can I say that I've got a weird relationship with, with Palace games. Right. Uh, I, I, because I, first I too, of all... Well, that, that, that Andros Townsend game you're talking about, uh, not only was I there, I was there on my birthday. It was my <laughs> birthday treat. Took a couple of mates with us. I had a night out with a curry and a, a few drinks <laughs> after. So I, I had to have the conversation after. Oh, did you go to the game? Did you enjoy it? And it was miserable. And I, I'm quite scarred by that one. And then I think was it a, a year later, maybe a season after, um, when... There was an absolutely horrible nil-nil draw away at Palace, yes. uh, which ended our like ninety whether it was nineteen wins in a draw yeah, or right. when yeah. we were that going for a European New Year's record. Eve, wasn't it? New Year's it was, yeah. yeah. Um, and I I didn't watch that game. It was the only game that season I didn't watch because I was driving back from Scotland, or my my wife was driving back. We had the entire family in the car, and I was listening on headphones, and my family teased me relentlessly after because I just sat making the most horrible noises <laughs> while I was listening on to Five Live on my noise cancelling headphones just swearing and mumbling and grunting as you know all our players got carried off injured and like everything that could possibly go wrong that day went wrong and that's kind of those two games have coloured my entire perception of playing against Palace. So you can talk about how we've won, you know, or we've lost one in the last 14 and, you know, won 12 out of them or whatever it is. Um, I don't really believe it. It feels like a difficult game for us. And, and it feels to me like Palace are going to turn us over because they always do, even though the facts say something entirely different. Uh, so that, I just wanted to get that off my chest. I've, I've got, I feel a bit haunted by Palace. Um, as for where they are now, um, I've been really impressed with what I've seen under Vieira. Um, I haven't seen a lot of their games. I think I've, I've, it's mostly just been highlights, and I think I might have seen one game along the way. Um, I haven't quite got my head around what Patrick Vieira is doing there and how he's getting these performances out of them, um, but they do look much less of a one-player team yes, uh, yeah. than in the... Uh, 
you know, when Wilfred Zaha was, was basically, you know, the be all and end all of Palace for what felt like about five years. And if he didn't play, they didn't play. And if he didn't score, they didn't score. Um, the, they, they've looked a much more rounded team. The form of Benteke has been quite frightening, I think. Cause like, my God, it, I remember when he was actually a good striker. Uh, and it mm. looks like he's back again. Um, and there, there's, uh, I can't remember his name, the lad from Chelsea. They've got Gallagher. Yeah. Gallagher, right, Gallagher, Gallagher has been absolutely, um, Riveting. What I've seen of him, he's, he's looked great. Uh, so all these pieces are coming together, and, and I think it looks to me like Vieira's doing a really, really good job there. Uh, but I'll be honest, I haven't studied them closely enough to to offer any kind of informed judgment about how he's doing or or, or uh, what's going on. But I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the game partly to to see that and see what he's got to offer. I think it'll be a good one. So yeah, let's hope mm-hmm. we no longer haunt you. I feel the same way. I mean. What- when I came to kind of, you know, okay, Palace next week, we'll, we'll cover that for the part. It's like, oh crap, they always seem to do us. And they <laughs> haven't, not at all, but it's just, it's a false no. memory. And um, I'll just quickly kind of say my strange connection to Palace, which was when I was six years old, um, <laughs> my dad got me a Crystal Palace top from Mold Market. Um, <laughs> obviously a snide one obviously, so now, Steve I just have to interrupt at this point and say mould market is yep. the funniest phrase <laughs> <laughs> it really sells itself as a, as a, a consumer experience yeah. in an emporium doesn't it yeah, I, lo- I love that I just assume everyone knows where mould market is, but it, it, it is it's a lovely little kind of town market anyway, but that's M-O-L-D to, uh, to people who are not yeah. familiar with North Wales it it's is. a beautiful place I, I apologise <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was obviously a snide top and it was obviously he got it because it was super cheap but I was in possession of a Crystal Palace it was my first ever kit um, there's a photo of me looking very proud full kit wanker you know um, in my back garden in a Palace shirt and then just a weird coincidence that year Crystal Palace was the first team I completed in my Panini sticker book uh, and my brother and I remember him saying this to me um, at my nan and granddad's that means you're a Palace fan so, kit, oh. stickers. I mean, I was, and so for two years, I supported Crystal Palace until I was about eight years old. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Anyway, that's just my weird connection to <laughs> Palace. But, you know, fuck him. Um, <laughs> uh, Harry, uh, Palace have, yeah. under Vieira, they've drawn six of their nine. Um, mm-hmm. Weirdly, they've either drawn or won or lost three nil a season. Six new signings, five of them under the age of 25. The average age of their starting eleven under Vieira has dropped a full two years to what it was mm. in the latter period of last season. They've gone from 39.9% possession um, last year to 50.1% possession this year. So obviously they're knocking it around under Vieira. What mm. have you made of them? Um, you probably bang on with the, the drop. I feel like they're a bit of a Brighton of this season. Mm. They just sort of can't put chances away yeah, uh, in yeah. the, the, the games with the draw. And uh, the, the only time I've watched them full was that Arsenal game uh, and they were very unfortunate to not come away with all three points in that game because I thought they were really good and Conor Gallagher's really impressed me Yeah. Um, could it cost them? Probably not because I think there's definitely three worse teams in the league than them and they've got a massive rebuilding job. I mean, Vieira's got a ma- they I don't know if you know, they released 22 players last <laughs> wow. season. 22! It was ridiculous. So Vieira has got uh, a massive job there, uh, but it's going to require patience from the Palace board. See what he's doing. Not it's not a sort of if he's struggling a bit, come March sack him job. It, it's got to be a 
patient rebuild as long as they're not going down which I don't think they will um, I'm interested to see how they do and again I'm interested to see how they play at the weekend because they seem to be getting on the ball more they don't seem to be sitting back like Hodgson used to come to the Etihad and sit back and just stick Zaha up front and just hope that the ball could be kicked to him he could do something hmm. decent up there well, um, I'll score a wonder goal sorry to interrupt but do, you, do you think it actually plays into our hands and that they're more of a possession based side now Um. well Southampton came out and look what happened there. I yeah. don't know if that was because of City's wastefulness uh, or it was the fact that Southampton played well, probably a mixture of the both. It depends if City... I think it always depends. I spoke about this, I spoke about this the other day, how fast City start. Against these sort of teams, if City can get an early goal or an early two goals, it tends to end up being 5-0. Mm. But if City start to be frustrating in the first 30, 40 minutes and you're going to half time nil nil. That's when it starts getting really awkward. I mean the Burnley game was probably case in point. I know we got the early goal, but trying to get that second and sort of make sure that we were going to win the game was getting a bit frustrating until De Bruyne kind of just took it into his old hands and was like, you know what, I'm just going to smack this into the back of the net. Um so maybe, but it, I think it all depends on our start. Yeah, no fair point. Um you said there about kind of winning games 5-0 and we've won, you know, I actually don't have a stat of hand, but isn't it like five or six games we've won by five or plus four goals this season? Mm. But, I mean, Ali, is it a concern that we failed to score in five of our 15 games this season? Um, throughout all of last year, we only failed to score on six occasions and we've nearly reached that point already. Um, sorry to bang on about this, but does it come down to not having a centre-forward? It's hard to deny with that, really, isn't yeah, it? When you yeah. if you're if you're short of goals and we don't have sent forward, yeah, it's possible that A plus B equals C. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you know, having said that, um I okay, I how will I put this? I want to uh update the official annals of the ninety three twenty Friday show pod. Hmm. Uh two weeks ago I was on here and we were having a love in to Phil Foden. Uh Ethan and Ethan and I, for anyone who wasn't listening, uh, basically pouring out all the reasons why Phil Foden was the the best thing to ever happen to our lives, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, in amongst that, I said my one reservation that I had is that I'd yet to really see him deliver playing as a false nine through the middle. Uh, that the type of performances we'd seen him produce, particularly in the wing and occasionally at number eight, uh, I'd yet to see from him through the middle as a either false nine or kind of number 10. Uh, that was three days before the Bruges game in the Champions League where he played that role and played it better than anyone I have ever seen it bar Lionel Messi. Uh, he was phenomenal that night. He then went out, played against Brighton three days later, did the exact same thing just as well. Uh, and when we when I look at that team now, I... The, the first name I would put in a team sheet is Phil Foden at the false nine. So through the middle and mm. front three. Um, that, that's only come about in the last couple of weeks. We weren't playing like that before. Uh, we tried every other combination of front players and, and none of them looked, none of them looked quite right. If we stick to this, which I think we now probably will, uh, I mean, obviously we'll, we are City, so there will be a bit of a rotation, and not only of rotation of the squad in the starting eleven, but also the the fluid front three. They will they will swap around and, and take turns. But by and large, I think we will see Phil Foden through the middle, and it's at least possible, if not likely, that the problem we're talking about now will will be solved by that. Because when Phil, when Phil is playing through the middle and on form. 
we look at a much, much, much more dangerous team than when we don't. Uh, so, um, okay, I, I, I was about to, to uh, have a little dig at Ryan Sterling again, but I won't because because we love Raz and, and we, there's been enough of that lately. Uh, but there are there are ways that we can play without a yeah Erling Haaland or Harry Kane or whoever yeah. we think we might yeah. need up through the middle, um, and we can win and we can score a lot of goals. Um, as Harry was absolutely spot on, right when. When we score early, we tend to score often, and the games that we struggle in—I mean, this isn't a new thing. This isn't this year. Um, it's always been the case that that when the city are chasing games or a, a game is playing out to a stalemate, we we struggle to really find extra gears and and push in the the winning goal in in the last few minutes. It's not something we do often. We are flat track bullies for better or worse. Yeah, uh, and yeah. we we tend to absolutely batter teams when we win. Um, and and look a bit insipid when we don't win. That's kind of how it is. So, am I worried that we haven't scored in five go- five goals this season? Um, I'm not happy that we haven't scored in five goals this season. I'm not entirely convinced that it will continue to play out like that. You know, one in one in every three games we play, we won't score. I don't think we'll be like that for the rest of the season. I think we have got the the tools and the weapons at our disposal to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, let's just hope I don't get proved wrong. Well, no, I'm, I'm fully with you. I'm, I've thought for some time that Phil is our best false nine. That's not mm. his, but that's not his best position by any means, but he's no. the best false nine yeah, that we have. Exactly. Of, of everyone. Uh, he's so clinical. And of course, we've got Torres to come back, but right now he's going to be out, um, this weekend. Um, which leads us nicely into the kind of uh, the lineup predictions. Um, Harry, am I missing anyone else out in terms of um, players who are injured or unavailable this weekend? Is it just Torres? Yes. Sorry, yes, just Torres. Spot. So- no, no, no. I, normally, you get you get Pep at one thirty, and he normally springs a surprise on you. But if it's from midweek, I, it's just Torres. Yeah. Okay. So let's say the defense is fairly easy to kind of work out, but the front six less so. Harry, who do you want to see kind of uh, across that front six? Um, well, if Ali said Phil Foden's the first name in the team sheet, Bernardo Silva's definitely second, so yeah, yeah, yeah. he slots in there. And then from actually, the no, I, I I want to retract what I said earlier. <laughs> Bernardo is my first name, and then Phil Foden is the second name in the team sheet. Come on, okay. sorry, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and then Rodri's my third at the moment. I can't tell you how impressed I've been with Rodri this season. He's been mm, he's yeah. been superb. Um, and then either side of Foden, Grealish and, and Jesus seems to be the, the first choice at the moment. No other player is really staking a claim to to take their spot. So I assume they shot, slot straight back in. And then I think Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne are interchangeable. It depends on your viewpoint on De Bruyne's form. Does he need to be playing through it or does he need to be taken out the team for a little bit of, and, and given a rest? So I think it just depends on that for that position. Uh, but for once, I think we've got a Bit of a settled side, which is very yes. unusual yeah. uh, with Pep. But I think in the Premier League, especially, uh, Pep seems to have found his strongest start at eleven. He's sticking to it, which I think he's good for consistency in run of games. These lads are getting a run of games together and they're starting to form these little partnerships. Uh, Cancelo and Grealish down that side have been linking up really well. Bernardo, when he comes over and helps in that sort of little triangle. Uh, has been has been doing really well as well, and uh, Jesus has been performing well with Walker on the other side with his overlap. So, uh, I think the front six for the the first time in a long, long time is predictable mm. under Pep. Is that mad to say? No, no, no. It's yeah. it's, it's bearing itself out. I mean, do you disagree with any of that, Ali? 
No, I completely agree, and I fully expect him to be made to look a complete idiot tomorrow when <laughs> it changes or whatever. Cause it's fit, it? <laughs> yeah. um, but no, it it really does feel like we've got a settled team, and it's actually quite easy to pick what our best first starting eleven is. Maybe we we can argue about the right wing between Jesus and Mares. And yeah, I was going to say that. That's the only one that's Yeah, but by and large, and and <clears throat> we could we can shift it up and and everyone can have a, a game off now and again. I think we've got the depth. It'd be nice to see Stones play a bit more, I think. Um, uh, I'd be happy to give Laporte a, a break and Stones a go in, in a Premier game. Uh, but it really doesn't matter much. The, the the shape of our team looks really quite obvious. And it, it's, it looks to me really quite uh, quite apparent who the best options are in mm. pretty much every every position. Okay. Can I can I just ask a quick question regarding yeah. like team selection? And I've been wanting to ask this for ages. I just keep forgetting. So against teams like like Burnley the other week, like like Palace, when the well, if Palace play a low ball, the, the sort of teams that come to the Etihad and sort of stick ten men behind the ball, would you lads be willing to drop Ruben from the starting lineup to have Laporte and Stones in there to elite passes in the build up? Oh, I don't know, because if they're going to hit you on the break, I mean, Diaz is, is excellent in that kind of position in one-on-one, isn't he? So, I mean, as is Laporte and Stones, uh, I don't know. I've, I've been <laughs> it's an interesting to, question. I've been inclined to say yes, actually. I, I, let's just say I wouldn't have a problem with it in that c- circumstance, yeah. um, but it really would have to be against someone who's basically just going to stick to men behind the ball. It's just because yeah, I, 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 I was looking at the games, compa- sorry, I just compared Southampton and Burnley and the amount of times Gabriel Jesus was so free on the on that side, on the right-hand side, and we didn't have Laporte to sort of switch the ball out to him with one pass and create a good opening yeah. like we did for the first goal. I just think if you can replicate that on the right with Stones playing out to Grealish, especially against teams who are low block, and when they do counter-attack, when we do get a bit of space, it doesn't take three passes to get up to our forwards, it takes one pass. Hmm. No, I'm inclined to agree with that. Absolutely, I, I love Laporte spraying the ball out. He's the best at it. It's aesthetically pleasing as much as anything else. Um, so yeah, I, I'm on. I'm on board with that, uh, Ali. Yeah, the only thing I would say is that I'm generally in favour of giving all of our players like a, a game off every couple of weeks or whatever yeah, yeah. we can. So you know, if we've got actually four fully fit and firing centre backs, if we include Aki as well, who, who maybe not quite at the level of the other three, but is getting towards it and, and uh, I'm more than happy for you know all of them to slip in and out and on a game here and there and I include Diaz in that even though uh, he's in my fantasy team and I get really annoyed hmm. whenever Diaz doesn't get picked but uh, you know which actually reminds me he did get dropped for was it the Brighton game that we didn't start with Diaz the, the it, was, one... it, it was it was Burnley we started with Laporte Burnley and, yeah 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 Laporte that's right um, and yeah, and well, we kept a clean sheet as well. <laughs> so I can't really complain, mm. uh, even though that was a, one of the less memorable games of the season so far. Um, so yeah, um, I, I, I like that we have got a settled and, and obvious starting lineup, uh, but at the same time, I'm absolutely uh, understanding of the of the need to rotate and rest players and give them a break. And I, I'm very much of the opinion that uh, we should pick teams for kind of four, five, six week blocks. So we're looking ahead. Of, uh, mm. Something I come back to a lot when we're talking about team selections. Um, so I'm not just thinking about who we need for this game, but also what's happening three days later and a week later, and how we keep those teams together as well. And we need to balance uh, uh, squads over a season. So, yeah, um, I'm not just looking at what 
team needs to get picked to win the game tomorrow, but how we have 22, 3, 4, 25 players uh, as, as close to being peak availability and, and peak form as they possibly can be. And that means they've got to play games that matter sometimes. Uh, Harry, two weeks ago, Ali was um, talking about, I think we were talking about Phil Foden and um, like, you know, kind of the importance of that and blocks the games and he was just looking to the derby. <laughs> like, we <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, you know what? I, I, I listened to that on the way home from London. And uh, yeah, I completely agree with everything that Ali said. Absolutely. Least, the it's two a, most important days in the calendar. Completely yeah, agree, but it was just pure birthing and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a, a score prediction for City v Palace. Harry? I'm going to go 2-0 again. 2-0, okay. Um, Ali? Because before I give you a prediction, cafe, the, the banter line there would have been flat. So can I have your score prediction for the uh, derby next? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Which uh, after the Liverpool game would be quite a fun conversation. But I'll let I'll let you save that for whoever's on with you next Friday, because that'll be a fun one. Uh, prediction for tomorrow. Um, yeah, I think it's going to maybe be a bit like the Burnley game. I'll, I'll give it uh, two nil to us, and, and probably not that uh, attractive a, a match, I'm afraid. I think Palace are going to score, so I'll say 3-1 City. But I, I don't feel it, you know. So with score predictions, sometimes I feel quite solid in my opinion. I think, yeah, I can really see that happening. I, yeah. It's hard to predict this one, to be honest. It's mainly, I, I really don't feel like I know this Palace team at all yet, and mm. I'm really not quite sure what we're going to get. So, you know, and fair play to Vieira, because that's his doing. So. Um, I don't think we're going to have time to do the fixture in focus this week. It was going to be Spurs United. Oh, Dear. <laughs> we were basically, I've even put it in the agenda, let's just laugh at both teams. <laughs> what's, it, what the old, what's the old line? Um, uh, two bald men fighting over a yes, comb. Yes, exactly yeah. that. So, but oh, let's let's try and squeeze in and talk on the Poznan because it seems to have returned in recent weeks. Um, Ali, are you a fan of it returning? You know what? I, I wasn't a fan of it first time it was round. I thought it was just a bit weird and I didn't quite get my head around it. And I'd, to be fair, I'd never been in a section of a, a crowd that's been Poznaning, so I've never had the experience myself. Um, but when it came back the other week, I, I, it, it really cheered my heart. It was like something from the good old days that, that yeah. um, mm. I, I was really pleased to see. And it, it kind of... it indicated a certain uh, joy of life among City fans at the moment that were in quite a good place and, and having a reasonably good time, uh, which is quite nice. And there's just something a bit daft about it. Like like I said about the West Ham uh, things and that relationship between City fans and, and Hammers fans, uh, it's one of the quirks of football and it's one of the just crazy things that you can't really explain. And our club is quite good at throwing up crazy things you can't really explain. Um, and the Poznan is one of them. And, and yeah, it, it's part of football's rich tapestry and and, uh, and part of Manchester City's uh, weird and wonderful culture. And, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to see it. And I, I am going to try and find some way of getting myself into a... a, a Poznaning section of a, of the Etihad, or maybe even go to an away game sometime. Because whatever happens, uh, at some point before I, I shuffle off this mortal coil, I want to Poznan. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's great when it, it's kind of you and you, you have people you normally go to the game with. But if there's a yeah. stranger next to you and you kind of get a vibe that they're not re- they're doing it reluctantly, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of doing a conger at some point. And you, it's, it doesn't feel right, you know. It's, it's 
all. Yeah. Do it with all your heart or don't exactly. bother. I think it has to be that, yeah. Um, Harry, are you a fan of it? Um, yeah, purely because it brings back good memories. I think especially this semi-final and final FA Cup in 2011, uh, that was when it was proper in its, can yeah. you say in its peak? Is it, yes. is it, is it yeah. a, a champ <laughs> in its peak? Um, and th- that day was just so special and it's, it's just weird that, you know, we won our first trophy in 40 odd years and everyone was just turning the back and jumping up yeah. and down. It's just such a bizarre <laughs> thing. We were a bunch of teary and disbelieving men and women, but at the end of the day, that is something I'll tell my grandkids about that I was there when City kind of ended that curse. Mm. Um, yeah, it's nice. Why take away some of the joys that people have at football? There's so exactly. much absolute misery in football that just it's not ruining a bit of fun that people have at the match. And we know from going to the match more than ever, there's there's people that go there that don't even watch the match. They're there to either give it to the away fans or to start chants, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. it's true. Or to look at their iPads, which is... That's a big frustration of mine. Absolutely. Right, I really enjoyed that as always. Thank you very much today, Ali. Loved it. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Harry. Pleasure as always, mate. That's a wrap for today, folks. We're off to check out the betting odds on Manchester City still somehow winning the Carabao Cup. (laughs) (laughs) In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Be well and forever up the blues.